there are a couple times that, this week that tears have come to my eyes. One was that picture that you were seeing there when we first held our grandson this week. It was like, you know, after all these years, we're finally grandparents. All these years, it's like people would ask us before, or do you have grandchildren? We'd say, no, we don't have grandchildren. We're not old enough yet for grandchildren. <laughs> and so finally, I guess my, Jenny, I guess we're old enough now, right? We are old enough. He's our first grandchild, and so we're excited about that. And so there were some tears of joy as we were able to spend time with my, our son and our daughter-in-law this week. But also, I want to say there were tears of, tears of just joy this morning during worship time. Folks, that was really precious. Thank you very much, guys, for leading us in worship of our Savior, of our Lord Jesus Christ, because without him, there's no reason to be meeting here today. All right. All right. Well, you're here today because you want to hear a message. So let's look into the Word of God this morning. Before we do, let's pray together. Father, we bow before you this morning and we realize that we have nothing to give except Jesus. We have nothing here today to to share except your word. We have nothing here today to be able to be excited about except the fact that we have been born again, we've been saved, we've been rescued from hell. And Father, that's all because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary for our sins. And Lord, we praise you and thank you today that we're a community of Jesus followers. We're a community of individuals that want to know how to treat people and how to honor you and how to love people in, in our world that is so hurting. So, Father, this morning we bow before you and ask that you would take your word, you would take what was being said. Father, hide the messenger behind the cross, and Father, may Jesus Christ be preeminent this morning, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, you all know we are in a new series, and we've got a lot of hum here, gentlemen. I don't know if you can do something about that or not. It might be easier for people to hear without it. But we are in a series called the Breaking Free series, and we've heard some great messages in the last several weeks about addictions, about anger, procrastination, and a lot of people have responded to them, and we believe God has really been dealing with hearts because of those messages. Well, this morning, I have the privilege to be able to share with you the cure for your eye, quote-unquote, eye problem, okay? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Pride. Pride is something that we're going to be discussing this morning and sharing together, and we're going to see what's going on. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Tommy. Okay. So we're going to be dealing with that this morning, but before we do, I want to take you to something that's even more precious to us than just the, the whole idea of pride, because that's sort of a downer for us, but... Let's think about Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. There the Apostle Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and all patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You see, the writer here encourages us to walk in humility. Because without it, I cannot love God supremely. I cannot be true uh, a witness for Christ. And I cannot love and serve my family. I cannot properly communicate. I cannot uh, resolve conflict. And I simply can't resist sin with pride. No, pride is there because 
Pride gets in the way of my doing the things that God wants me to do. Would you agree? Okay. You are there today. It's hard to see you all there. We've got these big lights shining up here. It's like, I think I see some people there, but you can respond. That's well. See, pride is a sin, and it's referred to as the base sin. It's a sin that got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. He said, I want to be like the most high God. Hey, the very beginning, Lucifer was one of the most beautiful creatures that God created. And then he chose to say, but I want to be just like you, God. You see, pride is, is termed as practical atheism because we try to unseat God. It's also known as the base sin because pride leads from, from one sin to another sin to another sin if it's not checked in our lives. We all have pride, don't we? Would you agree with that? Okay. The problem is not, do I have pride, but where is it? Where is it found in my life? And how much of it do I have? We all have the tendency to think too much about ourselves and too much of ourselves. A young man by the name of George Washington at age 14 realized that. And he penned 110 rules of civility and decent behavior. If you've never read it, I'd encourage you to get a hold of it. You can get it online. You can get it at different bookstores. It's wonderful. And in number 63 says, A man ought not to value himself of his achievements or rare qualities of wit, much less of his riches, virtue, or kindred. See, we try to build ourselves up by, by saying, I've got a good station in life. I've worked so hard with my hands. I've done this. I've done that. And we try to make others think that, hey, we're really something, when really, are we anything, you know? You know who Muhammad Ali was, don't you? He was on a plane one time, and he hadn't fastened his seatbelt. And so the stewardess came by, as they always check, and she said, sir, uh, you must fasten your seatbelt. He said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To that she said, Superman doesn't need an airplane. <laughs> See, pride tries to deceive us, tries to make us think that we can do whatever we want to do and there's no consequences. It's, it tries to get us to the point to where we have a... Um, and the reason we do that is because we have a high opinion of ourselves. That's how deceptive pride is. Galatians chapter 6 verse 3 says, For if any man thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, when the scripture talks about man, it doesn't just refer to men. Men. It refers to mankind, okay? So all of us can take, a, take an admonition from that. You see how deceptive pride is? How many would say here this morning, I know someone that has an ego problem? Anyone admit that? Okay. Yeah. It's, it's you there talking about da their dad, yeah. <laughs> See, that's just it. We can, we can try to think we know someone else has a problem with that. But boy, it's a little different when we try to look introspectively because we can't see it in ourselves because we think we're just being, I'm just being me. You know, it's okay. 
that's how it is with pride. It's unnoticeable to me, but other people know it very well. I was at a barbershop recently, and while I was sitting there getting my hair cut, I noticed a, another barber on the other side and going through working on a man's hair. And boy, his hair was thick. And I was sort of envious because he was so thick and so, so, so lovely. And then about that time, he got whirled around. And I, and I started laughing to myself because there was this big bald spot right there. Now, I understand. And, and so I was just laughing, thinking, you know, no matter how good the front looks, from a mile away, you can see the bald spot. That's the way it is with pride. You just don't think you have an issue with it. But others may say, oh my goodness, when is he going to get off himself, you know? That's the way it may seem. Okay, so let's get into the meat of the matter this morning. You may have a problem with pride if, number one, you're ungrateful. Proud people think that they don't really deserve problems. They have an entitled mentality thinking that I've worked so hard and I've done all this stuff and they're ungrateful for all the blessings of God, of their faith, of their family, and of their work and their relationships. They seem to forget what Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20 says, giving thanks always for how many things? One more time. How many things? Does that mean the bad and the good? Yes. What? Wait a minute. I'm so thankful for when things work out good for me, but I'm supposed to give thanks to God even when things don't work out good? Yes. See, a proud person doesn't believe that. They just don't act that way. So we need to realize whether something's favorable or unfavorable, God knows what he's doing in my life. Amen? He knows, and so therefore we can trust him for all things. In, in Nebuchadnezzar chapter 4, in Nebuchadnezzar, in Daniel chapter 4, there was a king called Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of Babylon. And Babylon was a country that had invaded Israel, the nation of Israel, and carried their occupants and their people off into a foreign land in Babylon for many, many years. And while they were there, Nebuchadnezzar was the king, and he was a pretty wise king in many ways. But one of the things that happened to him was that he became very enamored with his own abilities. In Nebuchadnezzar, uh, in Daniel, first Daniel 1, one more time, Daniel 4, verse 30, he says, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? What was he seeking to do? He was trying to build something up for his own glory, for his majesty, so others can look around and see him. See, giving of thanks is an admission of dependence. If you're not giving thanks, it's a good possibility you're a very proud person because you're ungrateful for what you've got. Pride fights against this. A proud person is ungrateful because he forgets where all of his blessings have come from. Number two, you may have a problem with pride if you have frequent outbursts of anger. Hmm. When your rights or your schedules are not being met, how do you act? Do you just sort of pass it off? Or do you, <clears throat> why isn't this being done? Boom. 
You could probably fill in the blanks for me. See, this is seen so easily by family, friends, co-workers who are near you. It's what we call having a very short fuse. Proverbs 14, 17 says, A man of quick temper acts foolishly. And then in James 1, 19 and 20, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If you notice that your fuse is being lit very frequently, maybe it indicates that you're a very proud person. Ouch. Number three, you may have a problem with pride if you monopolize conversations. You know how it is sometimes in talking with people? You can't get a word in edgewise because they're so enamored with what they're saying, with what their ideas are, and that you try to get in, and it's like, you know, you, you just can't do it. Well, see, a proud person will cut people off in mid-sentence because they know the best way to go about things. And what they're saying is more important than what someone else is trying to say. See, they want the spotlight to talk about themselves and what they think is right. They're just not good listeners. Because they think you, they know exactly what you're going to say, and they try to say it for you. Proverbs 10, verse 19 says, When there are many words, transgression and offense are unavoidable. Yes, unavoidable. You're going to have a lot of problems if you're the type of person that just has to monopolize that conversation. Number three, I should say number four, you could have a problem with pride if you're a know-it-all. <laughs> Basically, if you're, you can be just unteachable because why do I need to ask anybody else for anything? I know how to do this. Now, my wife and I have an ongoing situation with the GPS in the car. <laughs> she gets in the car and immediately she starts putting it in, you know. Now, to her credit, we just moved here three months ago. So there's a lot of areas we don't know. So for her, to her benefit, she says, I need this to help get me around. And I'll say, I know where I'm going. Yeah, I'm proud. <laughs> I'm proud. And I, I try to think, yeah, I know, I know, know how to get there. And then I say, uh, you want to pop that in again, you know? <laughs> um, see, there are individuals that think they, they've got a handle on it. They know that their own way is right, and it's not to be questioned. But you also may have a problem with pride if you're very defensive. That's where you rarely admit your own sin, let alone ask for forgiveness from others. You try to fend off anything that might reveal a chink in your armor and things that are wrong. When you have two pride-filled individuals, neither wants to admit that they're wrong, right? Anyone can say amen to that? Amen. No? No? Okay. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's so true. Husbands and wives, you know, we can get, get involved in a conversation. All of a sudden, it's like we got a stalemate because nobody wants to admit anything's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yes, except for that individual that says, okay, you've got to draw a truce or somewhere, you know. But, and men, even though I hate to admit it, I really think you and I probably have more issues with this than a lot of women do. Not that women don't have a problem. 
But I do want to say, uh, my name is Bob Brown, and I have a problem with pride. <laughs> so, you know what? It's there. And I guess the old thing that, um, that I've heard many times before, uh, well, Proverbs 12, 1 says, Whosoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is just plain stupid. You know, when we're so defensive that we can't take any reproof, hey, if the shoe fits, what? Wear it. Wear it, right. Okay. Number six, you may have a problem with pride if you're disrespectful. A person with pride is rarely concerned about the needs of other people, and they may belittle them and be unkind to them. They view people by how they can support their own agenda. Often, they take offense if questioned, yet they never want to be questioned themselves. And they might be heard to say, don't disrespect me. Ouch. I'm hearing some moans out there, folks. <laughs> you know what? We all have, have issues with that. And what is it that can help change that? What can change it from all these different things? Now, we've only mentioned name six different identifiers. A lot more identifiers could be mentioned, but just to give us an idea. Are you beginning to see that with pride, it links one sin after another sin after another sin, and it's easy in eventually to get involved with something that you think, how am I going to get out of this? You know, praise God, there's hope. There's hope for us because the Bible tells us that God hates pride. In Proverbs 16, verse 5, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to God. Oh, my goodness. He's, uh, we're abominable to him. God doesn't want us to act that way because it's, it's against his nature, against, his, against how he is. You remember when we were talking about Nebuchadnezzar earlier in Daniel chapter 4? And he said, is not this the great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? Well, the story goes on a little bit more in later verses. There in verses 33 and following, it's sort of like the twilight zone, you know, with do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, you know? This is really a weird example here because in verse 33, after he had declared it was for his majesty, Immediately, he was driven from among men, and he ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. What an extreme example of pride being dealt with. But look at the rest of Nebuchadnezzar's story, verse 36 and 37. At the same time, my reason returned to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heavens, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. God's able to take care of us. And it was pretty disastrous there with Nebuchadnezzar. See, pride is a mindset focused on self believing that life is all about me, my plans, my happiness, my accomplishments, my worth. It's a dismal but realistic picture of what pride is all about. But the opposite of that is what I really want us to think about here closing tonight. Humility. 
In order to have humility, we need to realize that we need God's grace. We need God's grace in our life every day. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. How many watched any football games yesterday? Okay. Anyone see some people on the defensive line? What was, what was the defensive line trying to do with the offense yesterday? What were they trying to do? Stop them, right? That's the same type of thing that God says here. He opposes. He tries to stop those with pride. Look what he did with Nebuchadnezzar. He will oppose us in our lives like a linebacker. He'll oppose us and just keep us from accomplishing what we really want to accomplish. Man, if that doesn't make us stop and think about it. Hmm. No wonder things life gets a little hard in my life. God's holding me back because of maybe it's pride. Hmm. You see, pride is a sin, and I'm not... And I'm not just guilty of sin, but I'm unable to live in a way that pleases God. There's a man by the name of Paul David Tripp, who's a great writer today, uh, a Christian writer. And this a few words that he's written. Sin kidnaps our desires and distorts our thoughts. It controls our tongues and rules our behavior. It saps our resolve and weakens our knees. It leaves us lame, weak, and unable. Our struggle with sin is so deep that only God living inside us can give us the strength and power to please Him with our living. Wow. Do you realize what sin does in our lives? It decimates us. Makes us unable to do the things that God wants us to do and that we may have a heart to do, but because there's sin and pride... Folks, I believe it's, it's, one, it's one of the base sins as we've talked about. But grace, what is grace? So if God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, what is it? It's the power of God in our lives that is unmerited, something undeserved. It's the kindness of God. And it's the very power of God to do the things I need to do. It's the God-given enabling power to do what God desires. It's the power of God's Spirit working in us by His grace that gives us the ability and the strength to please Him. See, this is why I say there's hope. There's hope because Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Because God has shown His salvation through His shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. He's shown it so that the world can see that there's hope. Praise God for that. Praise God that we can stand here today and say, you know, I'm guilty of sin and of my past and all this stuff. But praise God for what he's accomplished. He accomplished on the cross of Calvary something that is real, something that can make a difference in my life. 
And he enables me by his grace then to live righteously. See, we need his, his grace. We need his saving grace, first of all. It's a starting point. Hey, if you're here today and you've never become, or maybe you're new to the whole thing about Jesus. You're here and you, and you, you love being around God's people. But folks, let me tell you, the starting point to be able to receive saving grace is to be able to acknowledge the fact that you need God. Grace, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing, but it is a gift of God, not of works, so that you can't boast about it. (laughs) There was a conversation with the bragger and God one day, and the bragger said, I don't want to accept your gift. I'll prove to you that I deserve to be saved. I'm going to prove to you that I can... I'm a good guy, and I can earn my way to heaven. I'm going to earn it. And God says, no, no, you can't earn it. Just accept it. Relax. It's a gift. Then you can't brag about it. But the bragger said, no, no, God, let me prove it. Does that sound familiar? Let me prove it. How many people are trying to prove to God they're good enough for him? None of us are. All of us are, all of our righteousness are as filthy rags, the scripture says. So we can't merit God's love and his his forgiveness by anything that we do. It's what we have to believe. The moment we realize that we're really not in charge of our lives or of our destiny is a very turning point. That's the beginning point. David Jeremiah has a program on TV, on TV and, and radios. You may have heard of him. And he talks about the turning point. And I thought, boy, that's such an apt description, isn't it? The turning point in our lives when we turn to God from, some, from ourselves and we turn to him. See, we become a follower of Jesus when we give up our pride of trying to be good enough for God and we humbly accept his gift of forgiveness. There's no hope for humility until our proud, stubborn hearts are willing to receive his gift of love. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God shows his love for us while we are yet sinners. Christ died for us. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, if you're new to the Christian faith, your previous life has been governed by what you have desired, what you want to do. But when you humble yourselves before God by trusting in His Son, your life can be changed forever. Forever and ever and ever. Not only do you need saving grace, but you also need enabling grace. So what is enabling grace? Enabling grace is God providing His supernatural power for me when He saves me to be able to live to please Him. It's supernatural. You cannot please God on your own, my friend. No matter how we try, no matter how many churches you join, no matter how many people you, you, you visit and you take food to the homeless, no matter what we do, we can't please God unless His power is giving us the strength to do that. Paul Tripp said, again, let me continue on with what he said earlier, 
So God doesn't just forgive us. He calls us to do what is right. He gets inside us, working within us, because there's no possibility that we will desire and do what is right without the inner working of his power. You know what he does? God unzips us. When we trust Christ, he unzips us, and his Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And he, he fixes us right back up. And he's able to work his power through us to do the things that please him. Without his, without his power, it's impossible to please God. But by God's grace, his enabling grace, we can serve him. We can do the things that please him. When I hear God's word and I humbly obey it, that's the power of God in my life. And the Spirit of God saying, this is what you need to do, Bob. This is what you, where you need to go, Bob. This is, this is how you're supposed to live. In James chapter 1, verse 21 through 25, and I'm not going to read all those verses to you, but it talks there about the implanted word that we're to receive with meekness or humility, the implanted word, the planted word that, we, that gets planted within us by the Holy Spirit as we read His word, as we study His word, He enables us, to, we... To do what's right. See, you've all heard the term garbage in, garbage out. Well, I've got a new term for you this morning. Purity in, behavior changed. Think about it. Purity in from the Word of God. I take what the Word of God has to say. I read the Word of God and I submit myself to the Word of God. And the scripture tells me that he produces behavior that pleases him. I can't do it without the word, friends. I can't do it. It's not possible. But the more of his word that I learned, the more that I began to apply it to my individual life. And that's why I like, that's why I like our church. When the word of God is preached, it's applicable, Right? There's application you can use to your life. So many times you hear the word of God, and it's like, oh, that's nice. But there's application, and that's what we need. We need to apply that truth to our lives. We need to submit ourselves to the word. And as we submit ourselves to the word, then we end up being able to please our Savior. Ah, what a wonderful thing he's given us. He saved us, taking us to heaven someday. But in the meantime, he says, occupy Live now, and I'm giving you even the power to do so. What a deal. You can't find that kind of a deal anywhere today except through Jesus. The third aspect of, of our grace, that of the grace of God, not only saving grace and enabling grace, but sharing grace. And, folks, this is a, where I think where we get fouled up so many times. So many times we don't want to be accountable to anybody else. Nobody else. I don't need to... Listen, to anybody else, I can do it on my own. That's pride. Okay, we know that, right? That's pride. And being able to be accountable with the grace of God with other people. Men, are you willing to be accountable to your wives? Let them know what you're doing. Let them know where you're going. And show them you really love them because you're sharing your life with them. Ladies, are you willing to be accountable to your husbands? You know, the perfect example of accountability 
is found there in Ephesians chapter 5, where it gives us a game plan. It's humility to be humble with one another, to submit to one another. And we, we harp on the ladies many times, submit unto your husbands. But then God says, leave the, to the men, leave your mom and dad and cleave unto your wife. We're to submit to them as well, as well as them. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. For God said it. It's right. This is right. You know, any problem that you can see that we're having in issues, it can many times be resolved when there's a submission of the individual to others. Because we submit to God, first we submit to his word, and then we submit ourselves to others that can help us when we go through hard times. All of us will go through hard times. And when we do, do you have somebody that you can open up to and be able to say, hey, I need help? A proud person doesn't want to do that. But praise God. What a blessing there is when we respond to God's word his way. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. He gives multiplicity of grace unto the humble. I don't know your situation this morning, but I'll tell you, if you're here today and, you're, and you've been around a church for a long time, but you, you like to live life on your own, just your way, can I, can I encourage you this morning? There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is destruction. And the sooner we learn that God has a great way and a great plan for us to be able to submit unto him, and when we acknowledge our sin before him, 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is so willing to forgive. Folks, I need it. I need his forgiveness every day because, you know, there are thoughts and everything that goes through my mind. I need to be willing to have that open channel with God and talk to him about things. I also need to have a daily time that I'm spending time with God's word and let God speak to my heart. And all the pains that, I have, that, I, that we go through, let him speak to us and then put it into practice by his grace and then share that with other people. I'd encourage you this morning, if there's needs in your life that you think, you know, preacher, you've stomped up all my feet this morning. You know, it's like, ah, hey, don't walk out that way. Walk out rejoicing because you can have that joy and that, that peace that passes all understanding by humbling yourself before God and to others. Let's bow. Father, we bow before you this morning. And Lord, we don't know what you want to do in the lives of people today. But God, you do. Father, you know your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. And Father, dividing even asunder between bone and marrow. And Father, we know that you can do all things because you are God and we are not. This morning, Father, I'd bow before you and we would pray that your word would find lodging in hearts for men for women, for young people that are here. God, that we might realize the way of blessing is a way of surrender to you, and that brings so much blessing in our lives. God, if there's one here today that has not trusted you, has not become a follower of Jesus Christ, 
Lord, I pray that you would cause them to see their need, that they bow the knee, allow that pride of their independence to be squashed and turn to you, we pray. Father, for those that know you as their, their own Lord and Savior to be their badge of honor because of their humility that they walk in. But Father, deal with hearts this moment, Father, and this day, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Before the bands, uh, come ahead, guys. Before Tony and the, and the band comes, let me encourage you. I'm going to stand around here up front here for a while. And if uh, after the offering is taken and all, and if you are sensing that, you know, things just aren't right, and I want to make it right today, that's the thing. The songs we were singing about a second chance, God gives us second and third and fourth and fifth chances. And we'd be glad to share with you God's word for your individual need and just to have some prayer with you. That'd be our delight. I'll meet right over here on the side. And if you want to come, you come. We'd be delighted to have you.